So again, this is a passage for study this morning. As you can tell, it focuses on the relationship between masters and their bond servants or their slaves. And we're going to look at this as it relates to our work and talk together through all of those various issues. As I thought about the sermon this morning, I was just kind of reminded of an incident in our own life before moving to Williamsburg. Missy and I, we lived in Harlan, Kentucky. Harlan, Kentucky is in kind of the Appalachian regions of Kentucky, right on the border of Kentucky and Virginia. And Harlan is known for its coal mines. So coal is the lifeblood of that community. Coal is what really keeps that community alive. But Harlan is also known as Bloody Harlan uh, because of the battles that were literally fought there in the 1930s over coal. So coal mine owners and coal mine workers literally fought battles with one another uh, in order to kind of establish whatever would happen in terms of uh, workers' rights and conditions in the mine and pay. And in one particular battle over over a period of time in the early 1930s, five men were killed as a result of these conflicts and many dozens were wounded. It was a really dark period. And that bloodshed, it really still lingers in that community. It still kind of characterizes that community in some way as they remember this part of their own past. But that, that bloodshed is really just kind of one example of the tension and the conflict that has existed between employers and employees ever since the fall of mankind into sin. Now, the Bible teaches us about work. So one of the amazing things about Christianity is that the Bible, God's Word, it speaks to us about every aspect of our lives, everything we need to know to live for King Jesus. It speaks to us about that, and it does speak to us about our work. And the Bible teaches us that God's original design for work is that it would be a great blessing. God had good purposes. God gave Adam and Eve good work to do in the Garden of Eden. They were to spend their days really through their labors making the garden better, making it more beautiful. So they were to worship God in that way. They were to bring praise to God through their work. And had they not sinned, their work would have been a source of continual fulfillment and joy. It would have been easy, would have been a delight. But then the Bible also teaches us that sin affected work. So listen to what God said to Adam after Adam had rebelled against him and ate of the forbidden fruit. This is, this is how sin affected work. And to Adam, God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken for your dust and to dust you shall return. So part of the curse against sin is that work became difficult and frustrating and life-draining rather than easy and life-giving. And all of us who have worked have experienced that. But now sin also brought other tensions into work. The relationships in work were affected as well. So ever since the fall, the relationships between those in authority, those employers, and those under their authority, those employees, have been locked in conflict. Now the The conflict in Harlan in 1930 is just one picture of that. And of course, those conflicts continue to occur and will continue to occur as long as this present world order exists. But even when that relationship of employer and employee, it's not marked by bloodshed the way you saw in Harlan, still we know that that relationship is often marked by oppression. It's marked by complaining. It's marked by bitterness. It's marked by laziness. Well, And that's why it's good that God's Word speaks to us about work. 
What we're going to see this morning as we look at this passage is that God has good purposes for us in Christ. The kind of what was lost in Eden in terms of work is actually regained for us in Christ. And we're going to see God's purposes for how we work. Whether we are employers or employees, God's Word gives us principles that can help us do our work in a way that brings glory to God and in a way that blesses others as well. That's what we're going to see as we study this passage this morning. So we're continuing our study of the book of Ephesians. We're in the part of the book where Paul is teaching us how we are to live as the children of God in this world, and specifically speaking to us about our relationships in the home. So we are the children of God. We're the sons and daughters of God in Christ, and we're to bear the family image. We've said that over and over because I want it to be something that we think about. We are to be like God in the way that we live and act and interact with others. And that impacts our marriages, as we've seen. It also impacts our parenting, as we talked about last week. And this morning, we're going to see that it impacts our work. Now, in our culture, we don't think about you know, work as having to do with glorifying God in the house, right? Because in our culture, for the most part, we leave our homes in order to go to work, or at least that's what we used to do. The things were very different, right? In the first century, things were very different because most of the businesses, well, they were operated out of the household. And so the masters and their servants or their slaves, well, they would be together all as a part of one household. And then in addition, as we kind of think about this passage, we need to note that this passage is not specifically speaking about the relationship between employers and employees with kind of that work contract that we think of in our own day. It is speaking to masters and slaves. So there's a different context for work here. Right, the economy of Rome in the first century when Paul is writing this letter, you know, it was built upon slavery. About one-third of the population of the Roman Empire in Paul's days were slaves. So Paul is speaking to now believing masters and believing slaves, and he's helping them think through that relationship, how they're supposed to navigate that relationship. And that's a hard thing because slavery is a wicked institution. So it's jarring for us to think about Christian slave masters and Christian slaves. So we need to address that this morning. We're going to try to address that this morning as best we can, though I do think a longer sermon is going to be needed to kind of hit that head on, and Lord willing, we will do that soon. But even though the context for work was different in the first century, as we've just talked about, the, the struggles that characterize work or the challenges for work were very similar. Those who were over others tended to abuse that authority, and those who were underneath that authority, well, they tended to push back against it or to rebel against it or even to resent it. And the same is true today. The good news for us as we look at this passage is that the gospel speaks to us about work. It speaks to us about how we are to interact with others as we do our work. So the gospel speaks to both masters and slaves, and by extension, it speaks to employers and employees. There's a lot in this passage. We're going to cover as much as we can, but much will have to be unsaid. But in our time together this morning, I want us to focus our hearts on just two points that we see from these verses. So two points from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 and 9. The first point is that Christian employees honor the Lord by serving their employers well. Christian employees honor the Lord by serving their employers well. We'll see that in verses 5 to 8. And the second point is that Christian employers honor the Lord by treating their employees well. Christian employers honor the Lord by treating their employees well. And we're going to see that as we look at verse 9. Let's look at that first point together then. 
Christian employees honor the Lord by serving their employers well. Look at verses 5. We'll read from verse 5 to 8. Here Paul addresses bond servants. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Now, before we look at this passage and think about how it speaks to the relationship between employers and employees, I first want us to take a step back and I want us to consider who Paul is addressing. This is the, this is the place in the passage where we see that Paul begins to address this issue of slavery. And the very first word he uses there is bondservant. Now, that's how my version of the Bible, the English Standard Version, translates it. But other versions of the Bible translates the word as slave. And that's who he's speaking to. He's speaking to believing Christian slaves in the first century, and he's given them God's wisdom for how they are supposed to live as believing Christian slaves in the context in which they find themselves. He's addressing these Christians, and he's giving them their most basic command for how they are supposed to interact with their masters, and he says that they are to obey them. So let's take a step back and just kind of think about the relationship between Christianity and slavery because we should rightly recoil from the thought of a Christian master having a Christian slave, or any slave. You know, but because of sin, slavery has always been an issue from the beginning of time. This has been in the world. It was an issue in Paul's day. Very notably in our nation, it was an issue in the 19th century during the Civil War, and of course before that for centuries as well. And even in our own day, it's an issue. So there are estimates that up to 30 million people in our own day are in slavery even right now. Some of them are involved in human trafficking. Others are child brides. Others are kind of in the same kind of chattel slavery that we would think of as we associate with the kind of the African-American slave trade in our own nation. It's a terrible, terrible thing. And some people, they try to draw a distinction, though, to help us understand. So they draw a distinction between kind of the slavery of the Roman Empire and the slavery that was experienced in America in previous centuries and even the slavery that is around today. And there are some differences, but here's what we need to say very, very clearly. Each and every form of slavery is wicked at its core. It's wicked. It's wrong. In and of itself, no matter what form it takes, slavery is a wicked institution because slavery involves treating men and women who are made in God's image as if they are property. It dehumanizes them. It puts them lower. Slavery, by definition, dehumanizes men and women. John Stott put it this way. I thought it was helpful. He said, Slavery's evil lies neither in the servitude it involves, for Jesus voluntarily made himself a slave of others, and so did his apostle Paul, nor even in the element of compulsion, but rather in the ownership of one human being by another, which degrades them into subhuman goods to be used, exploited, and traded and in the cruelty which often accompanied this. And so when people think about the horrific nature of slavery, they wonder how Paul could give this command to these bond servants or to these slaves and say, bond, bond servants, obey your earthly masters. Why doesn't Paul instead just abolish slavery? It's a good question, right? It's a good question. It's something that we need to think through as Christians 
Here's the answer I think we need to give, is that all throughout the Bible, you look and you see that our God is patient, and He slowly leads His people to truth over time. He kind of helps them wake up and kind of helps them see how they're supposed to be living in light of the gospel. And I think he's doing this here. The Roman economy, again, was based on slavery. In major cities, up to half of the people that you'd see on the streets, they were slaves. There was no conception at this time of life without slavery. Everyone just took it for granted that this is how it was supposed to be. At the same time, if Paul were to have you know, advocated some kind of abolition of slavery, he would have certainly brought the, the full force of the Roman Empire down on the fledgling church in a way that would have been quite destructive. But here's what Paul and the New Testament writers did do. They wrote Scripture. They wrote inspired Scripture, and in the Scripture they gave us principles which undermined and attacked the institution of slavery, so that over time that institution began to wither from within and even to disappear. Here's what they taught. They taught that the slave and the master were equals before God, and they taught that the slave and the master were obligated to love one another. And it took a long time. Really, it took much too long. But eventually, Christians came to understand the essential incompatibility between the gospel and slavery. The two do not go together. You cannot have freedom in Christ and enslave someone else. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what the gospel teaches. Eventually, Christians came to realize it is impossible both to love your neighbor as yourself and hold your neighbor in slavery. You can't do it. You can't obey God's commands and be involved in slavery. It's impossible. The hymn, O Holy Night, puts it this way. It says, the slave is our brother. And because the slave is our brother, we must break his chains. It's what love demands. It's what God demands. At the same time, in this passage and in others in the New Testament, Paul, what he's doing is he's giving principles because God's word is timeless that speak to every place, every generation, and every time. And so this passage, it actually speaks to our context as well. Even though we don't live in a society that promotes and advocates this kind of slavery, which existed in the first century, it still speaks to our society. And it gives us principles for how we're supposed to work. It gives us principles on kind of what's the closest relationship we have in our society, which is the relationship between the employer and the employee. And that's how we're going to apply Paul's words this morning. So that's a lot of background, but we need to go through that background. But now I want us to look at these these first four verses, verses 5 to 8, and I want us to briefly see four principles for how Christian employers are to honor the Lord through their work. The first principle you see in the first part of verse 5, and it's this, that Christian workers should do their work with respect. So how should Christian workers work? How should they interact with their employers? Well, they should do their work with respect. Look at the first part of verse 5. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Again, this is the most basic command that Paul gives to these bond servants. He says that they are to obey. The word obey there literally means, again, it means to hear under. It's the same word that's used earlier in verse 1 of chapter 6 when Paul spoke to children and told children that they're to obey their parent. And the idea is that these bond servants were to listen to the commands of their master and they were to hear them and they were to obey them. But did you notice that Paul refers to earthly masters here? Why does he speak of earthly masters? Well, already at the beginning, he's drawing a distinction in the mind of his readers, right? So there is an earthly master at play here. There's a human being who has authority, but that authority is temporary. 
And that authority is limited. But you see, the Christian bondservant has another master, a higher master, and that master is Jesus Christ. And his authority is eternal. And notice that that Paul also describes the heart attitude with which the obedience is to be offered. He talks about that there. He says, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean that the bondservants or the slaves were to go around cowering in fear of their master at all time. It's not referring to that. That phrase there, fear and trembling, it really speaks of kind of a deep respect. So these, these slaves were to have a deep respect for their master, but ultimately it's not their earthly master that's in view. Ultimately, it's the heavenly master. So listen to how Paul put this in Colossians 3, verse 22, which is kind of a parallel passage that Rob read for us earlier. There, Paul said that bond servants were to fear the Lord as they obeyed their earthly masters. So even as these bond servants are respecting and obeying their earthly masters, they would have, a high, they would have an eye higher up looking to their heavenly master who's good and kind, and that is Jesus. And what's the application for employees? Well, it's that employees are to do their work with respect. They're to respect their employers. They should obey what they're told, and they should do that with an attitude of respect. So simply doing what your boss says isn't enough. The obedience that we offer our employers should be done with a deep respect for the position that God has placed them in. And we're also to have a higher eye, an eye up to our true master, to Jesus, and to work with a deep respect for him. So when I worked for Deer Park Water Company for a number of years, it was quite common for me to interact with coworkers and hear the way that they would grumble and complain about this supervisor or that supervisor. Sometimes it went to the point of slander or mocking or insulting them behind their backs. If you've been in the workforce, you kind of know what that's like. I'm sure you've seen that as well. Paul is teaching us in this passage that Christians must never do that. Christians must never engage in those kind of office chit-chat, back-and-forth joking, grumbling, complaining, disrespecting, our supervisors. Instead, out of respect for King Jesus, our true master, we are to offer obedience and honor to those that God has placed over us in our place of work. And if for whatever reason we can't do this, and that's important, if for whatever reason we can't do that, well, then we need to resign our current position and we need to look for a work position where we can respect and honor those whom we are called to submit to. It's that serious. So that's the first principle. Christian workers should do their work with respect. There's a second principle that Paul brings out here. It's kind of in the middle of verse 5. Look in the middle of verse 5. The principle is that Christian workers should do their work with integrity. They should do their work with integrity. Paul says, with a sincere heart. The word translated sincere there, it speaks of simplicity. It speaks of singleness of mind. It speaks of generosity even. And the idea is that the bondservant was not to do his or her task half-heartedly, but instead they were to put all of their heart into it. They were to do their very best. They were to do their work with integrity and with faithfulness. And again, the application is just very straightforward for us today, right? As Christian employees, we're to do our work the best we can. We're to offer the very best we have to our employers And ultimately, we'll see we're offering the very best we have to the Lord. Many employees offer half-hearted work. So people used to speak of Monday cars, and they used to speak of Friday cars, and those referred referred to cars that, that had poor workmanship. 
And on the Friday, of course, well, those are the cars that were made by workers who were looking forward to the weekend. And so they kind of slacked off on Friday. And the Monday cars were cars that were made on Monday while the workers were recovering from the weekend. And so both had poor workmanship. And so they called them Monday cars and Friday cars. And of course, the application for us is that Christians can't be Monday workers and Friday workers. We have to work hard every day. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, every day that we're called to go into the office, we must always give it our best. All of our work should be done with integrity. But you know, there's a third principle in this passage that gives us kind of a greater reason why, really unpacks the reason why. The third principle is that Christian workers should do their work as an act of worship to the Lord. And here's where you begin to see Eden kind of coming back in. You see God's plan is to undo what sin has done Look at the end of verse 5 to verse 7. Christians, Christian workers should do their work as an act of worship to the Lord. Here's what Paul says. As you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. This is the very heart of the matter. This is what Paul wants us to understand so clearly. This, I believe, is what God wants us to understand so clearly this morning. Bond servants were to do their work for their masters as if they were serving Christ himself. Why? This is the wonder of kind of the Christian philosophy of work because they were working for King Jesus. Because their work was being done unto him. The Lord Jesus treats the work believers do for their earthly employers as if they are working for him. And so we should work hard for our earthly bosses because as we do so, we are serving the Lord Christ well. And so it makes sense that Paul says that we should do that kind of work or that bondservants' work should not be done by way of eye service. And the idea is, you know, kind of only working when the master's around. And maybe you've experienced that in your own life or seen others in the workplace just kind of do that, kind of slack off. But then the supervisor comes around and everyone starts working harder and everyone's just doing a good job. And, and Paul says, no, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can't do that. Why? Because Christians are never to be people pleasers. Really, listen, there's no point in our life where it's okay for us as Christians to give into the fear of man or act in any way as if the opinion of any man is more important than the God who is always watching over us. Friends, even when the boss isn't watching, the Lord Jesus is. That was true for these Christian bond servants. That's true for us in our own day. So Paul tells us how we should work then. He says kind of in the second part of verse 6 that we should be doing the will of God from the heart. Now from the heart there is literally from the soul. It's like just with all you are, do your very best. And he says in the first part of verse 7 that we should do it with a good will. And the idea is that there would be a cheerfulness as we serve the Lord. And then in the second part of verse 7 or the last part of verse 7, he says that they should do their work as to the Lord and not to man. It's to the Lord, and not to man. There's a lot that we could say from these verses, but I want us just to kind of make two observations here about the way we should think of work. The first thing we need to say is that for the believer, for the Christian, all work has great dignity. All work has great di dignity. Now, in our culture, many people, they think about work, and they think that, that they can actually find dignity in their work, and dignity in work is found in achieving great things, 
or helping people in great ways. And so we kind of think of some jobs as more important than other jobs because they allow us to achieve those goals. Some careers seem to be more important, seem to have more dignity to them, and so we esteem them more highly. But that's not how God sees it. God doesn't think like we think. In his eyes, it doesn't matter what you do. The God who made the universe, the God who sustains the universe, isn't particularly impressed by any job that we do. He's the one who gives us strength and ability to do it. So you can be a car salesman, you can be a doctor, you can be a teacher, you can be a garbage collector, you can be an astrophysicist. It doesn't matter ultimately what you do. It ultimately matters that you realize who you're working for. Because who you're working for is the one that gives dignity to your work. Whatever it is that you're called to do tomorrow morning, you can be a homemaker in the home, you can be going out and doing sales, you can be a physician, a teacher, whatever it is, your ultimate boss is Jesus, and it is Jesus that gives dignity to what we do. It is the fact that we're serving the Lord in our job, in our work, that gives dignity to what we are doing. So for the Christian, all work is profoundly meaningful. All work has great dignity. It doesn't matter. Listen, because I know this can be discouraging. It doesn't matter what God has called you to do at this point in your life. It matters who you're working for. That's what's important. What's most important is not your title. What's most important is that your boss is King Jesus and that he wants you to work for him. He's the one that gives dignity to what you do. Another thing we should notice is that for the believer, all work should be worship. Now, that's related to what we just said, but just to kind of tease out the nuance. What Paul's saying here is that it's possible for these, you know, these bondservants to actually work in such a way that they would be worshiping the Lord, and that's true for us as well. For the believer, our work is actually a form of worship. So if you're a student right now, your studying is the work that God's called you to do, and as you apply yourself to your studies, you are worshiping the Lord. The Christian street sweeper in India worships the Lord by sweeping well in the same way that the Christian neurosurgeon worships the Lord by doing her best in each and every operation. Both of those acts of worship are important. Both of those acts of worship are equally acceptable to the Lord. So tomorrow's Monday, right? That means we have to go to work, right? No, Paul's teaching us here that we get to go to work. Paul's teaching us here that we have the privilege of going to work. And as we go to work, we get to worship King Jesus as we do that. Uh, fourth principle, Christian workers should do their work with faith. Should do their work with faith. Look at verse 8, what Paul says there. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. You know, this adds even more weight. This makes our work even more important because it teaches us that the Lord himself is kind of keeping track. He's noticing. He's looking at the way that we are serving him and worshiping him through our work. And here's the amazing thing. He's going to assess that, isn't he? But do you notice that that assessment won't be judgment? It won't be punishment? No, Jesus has taken all of our punishment. There is no wrath left for us because Jesus has absorbed every drop of God's wrath against our sin. But Jesus is taking account of our work. And he is, amazing thing about this verse, he is going to repay us or reward us for the good that we have done as we have worked for him. It's a great motivation to work hard, isn't it? To think that someday I'm going to stand before the God of glory and give an account for how I have 
done the work that he has called me to do and not just give an account, but that by his grace, he's going to actually reward me. You know, in the Bible, Jesus says, to he who's faithful in little will be faithful in much. And there's this picture of having greater rewards in heaven, greater ability to serve the Lord in heaven because we've been faithful in this life. So here's encouragement for you this morning. If you hate your job, remember that the reward is coming. Remember that God is looking right now at what he's called you to do and he's looking at the way you're doing it. And God's plan for some of us You know, even though we like to try to find life or purpose or identity in our work, God's plan for some of us will be that our work will be a way for us to provide for our family. It'll be a way for us to care for others and to be generous with others. We may not particularly enjoy what we do. We may never particularly enjoy what we do in this life. And yet, it's just a part of God's plan to make us more like Jesus. And in our work, he's giving us the opportunity to worship him. And by his goodness, he promises to reward us for doing our job faithfully. Whether we particularly liked our job or not, that's not the issue. What's the issue is that our kind God cares and he will reward us. So you look at these four verses and here you see how Christian employees are to honor the Lord by serving their employers well. They're to do so with respect. They're to work with integrity. They're to work as an act of worship to God and they're to do so with faith, looking ahead to the reward. That's what you see. There's So much in this passage. Look at verse 9. Here you see the second point. Employers honor the Lord by treating their employees well. Look at verse 9. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Now, It is good and right for us to kind of naturally recoil from the idea of Christian slave owners because it should never be that way. And yet Paul is addressing this very real situation. And we should notice that it's remarkable that he did that because in Roman society, Roman slave owners had absolutely no accountability for the way they treated their slaves. They could beat a slave, they could imprison a slave, they could kill a slave if they wanted to, because in everyone's eyes, the slave was simply their breathing property. But now Paul speaks into that very ugly situation, and now he brings this new perspective, and he reminds these Christian slave owners that actually they do have accountability. Actually, there's someone to whom they are accountable for the way they treat their slaves. They had a master to whom they would one day have to answer And the Lord wanted them to treat their slaves well because both the master, and this is so important, here's Paul just kind of flipping the world upside down. He's saying that both the master and the slave are on the exact same footing before God. In other words, they're a human being and we have obligations towards other human beings. We have obligations to love them and to treat them well. Now, Paul very briefly in this passage gives three principles to us or to guide the behavior of these Christian masters as they interacted with their slaves. The first principle was that Christian masters were to treat their slaves with respect. Now think again, this is revolutionary. They were to treat their slaves with respect. Paul says, do the same unto them. So just as the slaves were to do their work with integrity and with respect to their masters, so the masters had an equal obligation to do the same to them to treat their slaves with respect and with integrity. 
you know, really this is kind of a variation on the golden rule that the Lord gave in Matthew 7, verse 12, where he said, whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. You see, here's this equality, here's this balance. The slaves owed their master respect, integrity. The masters owed their slaves equal respect. Do you see how this one command completely undermines the institution of slavery? It completely cuts it. It clips it at the knees. How can you treat a person made in God's image with respect and integrity and at the same time treat them like property? You can't do it. It's impossible. Do you see how God is undermining this ugly institution here so that it withers? There's a second principle. Christian masters were to lead their slaves without resorting to threats. Look at the kind of the middle of verse 9. And stop your threatening. Slavery always involves violence and intimidation. It must be used if you're going to establish and keep the wicked institution going. But Paul is outlawing verbal threats. And if he's outlawing verbal threats, he's also outlawing physical abuse. In other words, these masters would have to treat their slaves like the human beings they were. They'd have to have a real relationship with them and treat them with the respect that they deserved. And then there's this third principle. Christian masters were to remember God's ultimate judgment. So look at the end of verse 9. Paul says, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. In other words, masters, listen, God doesn't view you as higher than your slaves. You're on equal footing and you're both going to give an account for the way that you treat, for the way that you interact with one another. God cared, in other words, about the way these masters treated their slaves and he was going to assess the way that they did so. And one day they would have to stand before God and be assessed based on how they had treated their slaves. Now, again, in our context today, we don't, we don't face this challenge of trying to figure out how you know, masters are supposed to be interacting with slaves, and that's a good thing. May that never, ever be the case in America again. But these three principles, they do speak to us. They speak to us on that, that close relationship then of employer to employees, and that's how I want us to, enter, that's how I want us to apply these principles First, first, here's the thing. Christian employers must treat their employees with respect and integrity. Do you see that? Do the same to them. What It applies to employers for their employees as well. In my life, I remember sitting through sales meetings where the owners of the company did little more than yell at us for 45 minutes about well, how bad we were and what a terrible job we were doing and how we were getting everything wrong and costing the company money. It was quite ugly. The whole thing was quite ugly. What it wasn't was respectful. It fell short of this principle, but it can't be that way for a Christian employer. You cannot treat your employees like trash. You cannot treat them like tools. You must respect them as men or women made in God's image, and you must treat them that way. There's a second principle or second uh, application we should make. The Christian employers must never resort to verbal threats against their employees. So intimidation and bullying are found in schoolyards all across our nation. But it's not only found in schoolyards. It's found in boardrooms and in corporations and in businesses all over America and all across the world. But Christian employers cannot do that. Our words must be reasonable. Our words must be fair. Our words must be measured even when discipline is necessary. And sometimes discipline is necessary in the workplace. But then third, Christian employers must know that their master in heaven will one day judge them Again, 
the employees are not the only one whom King Jesus is going to evaluate. He's going to be evaluating the employers as well. The employer may have no other earthly authority. They may be the boss of the company. They may have no one to whom they answer day by day, but they do have someone who will hold them accountable. And Christian employers must remember that. They must remember that we must one day stand before God and give an account for the way that we have lived and for the way that we have treated others. Christian employers must know that they work for King Jesus. So do you see, listen, do you see the wisdom of God on display in this passage? Once again, do you see the perfect balance that God brings into these relationships, right? Because of sin, work in this world is marked by futility. It's often marked by fighting and grumbling and arguing. But here we have the wisdom of God that redeems work. In some ways, it brings us back to Eden. Adam and Eve, what are they doing? They're working in such a way that they are worshiping God and loving others. What are we as believers called to do on our workplaces? We are to work in such a way that we are worshiping God and loving others. The gospel restores, redeems our work and makes it deeply, deeply significant. So tomorrow, whether you're a Christian employer or a Christian employee, you do not have to go to work grudgingly. You can realize that Monday morning, tomorrow, is the next opportunity you have to live the way the Lord has saved you to live, to live the way he's called you to live as a Christian in the workplace. What a good thing. How life-giving, how sustaining that is. Really, it's a gospel word. I want us to understand that it's the gospel that transforms our work. We were created by God, right? It's this message we love at Christ Fellowship. We talk about Christ Fellowship. It impacts every area of our life. We were made by God. He created us to love him, to serve him, to have a relationship with him. He wanted us to do our work in a way that would bring honor to him always. But we were born sinful and separated from God. Our first parents, they rebelled against God in the garden. We sinned in them, and because we come from them, we've all inherited that, that same kind of rebellion against God. And so instead of wanting to work for him, work for his glory, we just kind of serve ourselves. That's what sin does. It makes us selfish. It turns us in on ourselves. And so instead of living for God and honoring him, no, we just pursue what we want to pursue. And that leads us to disobey him in countless ways. And that leads us to harm others as well. We've all broken God's commands. No one sitting here this morning can stand before God and say, you should let me into heaven because I've lived such a good life. No, the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have fallen short in this area of work as well. It's just simply true. And the Bible says that sin is serious. That if we die in our sins and stand before God and face his judgment, we'll be separated from him forever. Listen, I know I'm a preacher. I'm looking at you. you hear this all the time. Forever, friend forever separated from the only source of good for all eternity. The stakes are so high. And yet it makes the gospel such good news because here this God whom we rebelled, this God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, eternal son of God came into this world, what? To do what we could not do, to live the life we could not live. Jesus worked perfectly. Did you see it? All throughout his life, he's just pouring himself out. All throughout his life, and there's times when it's, he says to his disciples, it's my food to do the will of my Father, right? They're concerned. He's working so hard. Why is he doing that? Because that was how he was called to worship God. And he didn't do it for himself, friends. He didn't need righteousness. We did. And then when the time was right, this perfect Savior, he laid down his life on the cross as a sacrifice for broken sinners like us bearing in himself the wrath of God against the sins of all who will turn from their sins and trust in him. He died, but then he rose from the dead. 
And now we have this message that we proclaim so freely that God will accept you, friend, if you will turn from your sins and put your trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. God will, will treat you as if you live Jesus' perfect life. He will welcome you as his son or daughter. And in light of this passage this morning, you see, he will actually restore every area of your life. You know, the gospel restores our relationships with one another. We've been talking about that in recent weeks. The gospel, by the, by the gospel, by the Spirit of God, we're empowered to live for God. And it's this gospel that sets us free to work in the way that we were originally created to work so that our work once again becomes an act of worship to God. So do you want your life to be marked by worshiping God through your work? How do you start that? Friend, you start that by bowing the knee to Jesus today. You start that by trusting in Jesus today. Don't leave here without doing so. If you want to talk with someone about what that would look like to trust in Christ, I'd love to talk with you. But this is what you were made for. You were made for him. And he makes all things new. And he's good. Well, there's a lot in this passage, right? We're just in some ways just kind of covering the surface of it. But here's God's wisdom at work. The gospel does not simply make our work bearable. It makes it worship. It makes it worship. And the gospel restores our relationships so that whether we're a Christian employer or a Christian employee, we can live together in a way that makes much of King Jesus. May he help us do that in this coming week. And let's pray.